Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Beginnings, the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, Genesis and chapter number 1. The book of Genesis, chapter number 1. We are currently in a series of the Millennial Kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ, which, of course, we know is going to happen at the end of time. And so in order to kind of get a semblance, to try to get an understanding of some of the things that's going to happen in our future at the very end of time... We need to go back to the book of beginnings and see how it all started. We understand that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We understand that when God created the world, he created it to be a wonderful place to live in. However, most of us pretty much realize the world we live in is pretty awful. It's falling apart. There's all kinds of things, whether it's the cursed ground, whether it's the hard work, whether it's the results of of it, whether it's the atmosphere, all the stuff that happens right now in our world, it used to be completely different. This is not how God originally created the world to be. And so if you don't mind, we'd like to take some time to explore in the beginning of time and see what God created in the very beginning and see if we can get some Uh, idea of what God intended for us to live in. So if you don't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the very first book and the very first chapter and the very first verse. The book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Notice what the Word of God says. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and then in the darkness he called night, and evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a large word that occurs a couple different times within the book of Genesis chapter number 1? The book of Genesis chapter 1, and notice with me in verse 6, the word firmament. Notice with me again in the verse 7, twice it uses the word firmament. And verse number 8, it uses the word firmament. Now this is going to be an important word for us to study today, but with this word we want to explore the question... What was the Garden of Eden like? What was the Garden of Eden like? 
Well, if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. Thank you again that we could study the Bible and that we could learn from science. We could learn from what you've allowed us to have more about you and your great design of what you intended us to have. And I'm asking as we go through this amazing message, I know that I don't have the words to explain it. I don't have the vocabulary to put it across, but I could depend upon your Holy Spirit that we could see what you intended for humans to live in, in the Garden of Eden. We could see what great designer and a great planner, what an amazing God that you are and how you set things up and that we can learn more about you through this message Again, fill me with your Holy Spirit, and we trust that you would get your own work accomplished today. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. As we come to the book of Genesis chapter 1, we know that this is the book of beginnings. And this is the chapter where God created the world in six literal days. And as God is creating, he takes time on the second day to explain that he creates a firmament. A firmament. Notice again what the Bible says about this firmament on the second day. Notice with me in verse 6. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. It explains this again in the book of uh, Peter that the waters were standing, that whatever this firmament was, it was standing under the waters and above the waters. So it's separating the waters. There's waters on every side. Then notice what it says. In verse number seven, and God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Notice the word heaven there. We know that the Bible describes that there's three types of heaven. There is the heavens where the birds fly in, all right? That's not the heaven when you die and go to. You're not going to the clouds uh, where the birds are flying in. But it's the heaven, the atmospheres. We know the second use of the word heaven in the Bible is dealing with space. Where the stars are at. That's heaven. And then the heaven where we will reside at permanently in eternity future. That is the third word use of the word heaven. And so the Bible here is describing a heaven that is physical, literal, not spiritual. That it is saying that this firmament is in the heavens and that it divides the waters from the water and under the water. Now you say, what in the world does this mean? How does this work? What, What are we talking about? Well, what we believe, and I'm using the word believe, this is what we believe, is that we believe that when God created the heavens and the earth, that what God did is that he put a canopy of water surrounding the earth. So we know that the earth is not flat, but it is a ball. It is a globe. And that we believe that surrounding the earth was a canopy of water. A shield of sorts. A clear shield encasing all of the earth. And this is what we call the biblical canopy. Now this canopy or the firmament would do some amazing things. That one of the things that first of all that this canopy, this firmament would do. Is that because it is made out of water. And what it would do is that it would block out what we call ultraviolet light, UV light. Now, in our society, in our world today, we understand what UV light is. That UV light is a certain ray that comes from the sun that shoots into the earth, and that's why you have to use sunscreen, right? 
protective protection. Well, what exactly does UV light do? Well, UV light is tiny particles that are shot from the sun that when it hits you, it shoots holes through you. That when the sun is out, guess what? You are being shot through holes every day of your life. In fact, they use the same principle to take an x-ray. Have you ever had an x-ray done? Well, they make you get into a gown where part of your back is showing and they bring you into a room and it's cold and they put you on a metal table, which is colder. And then what they do is they line you up and say, all right, don't move. And then they say, all right, take a breath. And then the person takes off running away. Well, where are you going? Is this safe? Well, they say, yeah, it's safe. Then why are you running? Well, they explain that what happens is that the x-ray machine is shooting you full of holes. And what happens is that if it hits your bone, then it goes at a slower speed and it will show up as a different color as they do the reverse image. If it goes through your skin, it shoots through pretty quickly and what, there's no hindrance and so it shows up darker. When it hits your bone, it shows up lighter. And through it, they can see inside of you without cutting you open where the broken bone, where the fracture is. Well, that's all right if you get one x-ray at a time. But those x-ray techs are there taking thousands of x-rays. And so they want to be in a different room because they don't want to be shot through holes all the time. Well, the sun is shooting you full of holes called ultraviolet light. And what happens because that ultraviolet light continuing to shoot holes through you, your body has to repair those holes. It has to work. And there's a lot of work that goes along with it. And after a while, your body kind of loses out and gets tired. And what forms is aging. So the reason why you begin to age and fall apart is because your body is constantly repairing itself from the UV light that it's being shot through all the time. If we could say it this way, UV light helps cause aging. Now, if we had a biblical canopy, a canopy of water surrounding the earth, one of the main things that it would do is it would bounce off UV light and protect the entire earth from UV light. What would be the effect of this? It would delay the cause of aging. That's why you read in the book of Genesis before the flood that you had people that lived at to an average of 812 years. That's a long time, right? I don't think there's any 600-year-old people in here. You may feel like it, but there's no one that's 600 years old. Well, what's different between now and then? Today, our average lifespan, 70, 80 years, you're doing pretty good. Uh, so we're starting to live a little bit longer because of modern medicine. But you know, when you read the biblical account, these people are living 800 years, 900 years. They're living quite a long time. That's between... Uh, uh, 10 to 12 de, um, times of length that people lived. What caused this? Well, because UV light was bounced off, people lived longer. Their bodies weren't constantly have to repair the effects of aging. They didn't have to repair the UV light. So this biblical canopy surrounding the earth, one of the first major effects is that it would cause you to live close to a thousand years. That's pretty wonderful, isn't it? Well, that sounds like a good place to live at, especially to live a long time and let your body still be healthy. That's important. I don't want to live a long time and my body not be healthy. There's a difference there. And so one of the first things that this biblical canopy would do is that it would block UV light. Another thing, a side effect of this biblical canopy is that because it would surround the earth, it would cause a greenhouse effect and it would cause a uniform temperature 
from pole to equator to pole, meaning that the entire earth would have about the same temperature. So when you woke up in the morning, it was 70 degrees. At the hardest, hottest part of the day, it was 75 degrees year round. So you didn't have the seasons. You didn't have a cold season and then a super hot. It was 70 degrees in the morning, 75 at, not, at night or at the hottest part of the day, consistently year round. That sounds pretty comfortable, doesn't it? To have the same temperature year round, to have it where you didn't have to worry about shoveling snow. You didn't have to worry about rainstorms or dust storms. You didn't have to worry about, is it going to be too hot? And are you going to survive 70 degrees in the morning? 75 degrees at the hottest part of the day. It sounds pretty wonderful. Well, this would be some of the effects of having a biblical canopy. That first of all, it would block off UV light. Second of all, that it would uh, make a uniform temperature within the earth from pole to equator to pole. A third thing this would do is that because of the canopy, it would cause there in the earth to have a double oxygen and double air pressure inside of the earth. A double oxygen and double air pressure. Now this would do some wonderful things. In fact, before I um, explain that, we can know that we have fossils, right? And that there's dinosaur bones, those type of fossils. Do you know that we can take pieces of amber and inside of amber you could have um, the blood of a mosquito or something and whatever the mosquito sucked in. But also in that amber, you would also have air bubbles. Do you know that we could test those air bubbles? And guess what? Those old air bubbles from those fossilized amber have double oxygen in it. So I'm just trying to tell you, I'm not making up stuff. But science backs this up. That science tells us by all kinds of evidence that before the flood, there was double oxygen in the earth. Now, if you had a biblical canopy surrounding the earth and it had double oxygen and double air pressure, it would do some wonderful things. One of the things that it would do is that it would saturate the hemoglobin within our blood. You say, what in the world is hemoglobin? Well, inside of our blood, we have the liquid part, which is called the plasma. And inside of the blood, we have the liquid part, plasma. Then we have the solid parts. You have platelets, you have white blood cells that fights infection, and then you have red blood cells. The purpose of the red blood cells is to bring oxygen to the rest of your body. And inside of the red blood cells is something called hemoglobin. And it is the hemoglobin's responsibility to collect the oxygen molecules. And through that red blood cell and the hemoglobin, it would carry it through. Well, a regular hemoglobin can only carry four oxygen molecules on side of the red blood cells. Well, with double air pressure and double oxygen, what would happen is that the hemoglobin would become saturated, meaning it would be full, and it would go into the plasma, and you would have extra oxygen in the plasma. Now, this would be some wonderful things. That first of all, what it would do is that it would give you so much energy. You would feel like you had energy all the time. For example, some of you woke up this morning and couldn't function until you had coffee. Well, you don't have to worry about that in the millennia, or in the uh, Garden of Eden, because even just taking a breath, oh, I feel good. That just breathing caused you to have a lot of energy, and you are ready to go. And it would give you so much energy that what would happen is with the double with the energy that you had is that you could literally run two hundred miles without getting tired. How many of you like to run two hundred miles without getting tired? How many of you just like to run? Well. 
what would happen in the Garden of Eden with the double oxygen, double air pressure because of the canopy of water, that you would just feel wonderful. You would feel full of energy all the time. That your body would be so strengthened, you could run to grandma's house. That's why they didn't have cars back then. You could just run to grandma's house. You had the energy to do so. In addition, because of the oxygen being saturated inside of the blood and because of the healing prophecies that come from that double air pressure, double oxygen, that what would happen is that if you broke your bone or you got a deep cut, today, if you got a big cut, it takes about 14 days to heal, especially you put Neosporin, put the Band-Aid. It takes 14 days. In the Garden of Eden, if you broke your bone or got a deep cut, it would heal overnight. And so isn't that a wonderful place that God designed? He made it so people could live a thousand years and have healthy bodies. He made it so you would have a beautiful temperature from pole to equator to pole. He made it so just taking a breath was great in life. He made it so you had enough oxygen, that you had enough energy to accomplish everything you wanted to get done. And if something did happen to you, you would heal overnight. That sounds like a wonderful place, doesn't it? That's a smart God because God made the Garden of Eden. He made earth originally to be a wonderful place for us humans to live in. Isn't that a great God to make a wonderful place? Now you're saying, well, wait a second here. Well, let's examine a little bit more. I just gave you some of the basics of the biblical canopy. But let's explore the Bible a little bit more. And I want you to pay attention to the word Firmament. Notice again in the book of Genesis chapter number 1. And notice with me as we talk about the second day in verse number 6. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters. And God said, let there be... <coughs> excuse me, in verse 7. And God made a firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Now, notice God uses that word firmament a quite a different, uh, quite a bunch of times. The word firmament in the Hebrew is the word rakia, which doesn't mean much to you except if we understand the definition. Today, we use one word synonym definitions. We're lazy. That, you know, we could say somebody waltz down the aisle. They prance down the aisle. And so we use those words as synonymous terms. But each one of those terms have a more fuller definition. That most words you look up isn't just a one word definition. It is a more full definition to explain it. Well, the biblical word rakia, which we now translate into the word uh, firmament, means this. Now, here's the full definition. It means to compress or pounded out, stretch way of heaven in thin metal sheets. That's a pretty specific definition, isn't it? It means, the word rakia, oppressed or pounded out, stretched out archway of heaven in thin metal sheets. So what is this biblical canopy? Well, we believe this biblical canopy is uh, a water canopy that is compressed and start and uh compressed and pounded out, stretched out archway. Now, if you're looking at part of the earth, it would be an archway, but it goes all the way around in thin metal sheets. You say metal, now you're pulling my leg. Metal, well, let's see if you could remember your high school classes. What is water made out of? You tell me. 
H2O. What does the H stand for? Hydrogen. And what does the O stand for? And so water is made up of, of two hydrogens and one oxygen. Well, when you know that this vapor canopy, water vapor, is made out of water, and when you turn it super cold, some amazing things happen. That the Lawrence Livermore uh, Laboratories did the experiments on this. If you're not familiar with them, they're the people who experimented and designed the hydrogen bomb. They had to do a lot of studies on hydrogen. So they would be the experts, wouldn't they? And when they found, uh, as they studied hydrogen, uh, especially water combined together, that when you turn oxygen to super cold temperatures, it just turns blue. It's pretty boring. It just turns blue. But when you take hydrogen and you turn it super cold, it develops semi-metallic properties. Now, wasn't the definition that we had, the word rakia, is stretched out, compounded out, uh, compressed or pounded out, stretched out archway of heaven in thin metal sheets? That what happens is when you take water, H2O, and you turn it super cold, that what happens is it layers out into almost thin sheets of metal as the hydrogen kind of combines together and lattices together. And what happens is that the hydrogen develops semi-metallic properties, which would include when you turn hydrogen and you turn it super cold, it becomes crystalline, it becomes transparent, it becomes fiber optic, superconductive, ferromagnetic, and it turns pink. And you say, all right, now we got the science class. This is the time of the class where I turn it out and hear the voice go, nah, 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 nah. Well, let's explain each of these, these elements of hydrogen when it turns semi-metallic, when you turn it super cold. And let's learn how it would affect the earth if it was surrounded by a vapor canopy that was super cold. By the way, it would be like negative 400 degrees. The NASA scientists, by the way, when they spent the space sh uh, shuttles up, they test the temperatures and they do it with weather balloons and whatnot. And the layer where the biblical canopy would be at is that same temperature that needs to be negative 400 degrees. In addition, when the NASA uh, sent the spacecraft up, they're able to test the water levels and try to look and do all kinds of tests. And there's elements of that biblical canopy still there, not enough to affect us as much, but there's still evidence that there's something there. And if it was just fuller, uh, we know that it fell during the Genesis flood, but there's evidence that it was there right where we said it was. Isn't God good? Now let's explain what would happen if we had a biblical canopy that's in that layer surrounding the earth. What would it do? Well, first of all, let's cover the principles of crystalline and transparent. That we understand that any metal, the more pure it becomes, any metal becomes transparent. After all, the Bible talks about that in the future, in heaven, we're going to walk on transparent streets of gold. Why is it transparent? Because it is pure. Any metal that, as it becomes more pure, will become transparent. Well, do you know even NASA knows this? That the NASA astronauts, as they go out into outer space, what they, as they have the helmets, they have the visors that go over it. All of the NASA astronaut helmets are coated with a layer of pure gold. And what happens as the... Um, NASA astronauts have that on. What this does with the visor that's protected with pure gold, it allows, first of all, radiation to be reflected. After all, think, they're in outer space. 
they don't have an ozone or an atmosphere to protect them from the radiation of the sun. So what happens, their visor bounces it off for them. And it protects them from radiation. Otherwise, the astronauts would fry in space because of the radiation. A second thing that the visor does is it's coated with pure uh, gold. Is that it controls the temperature inside of the suit. Because of the pure gold of it. Didn't we already speak about that? About the biblical canopy? And so it control, bounces off radiation. It gets a controlled temperature within their spacesuit. After all, it's pretty cold out in space. But it controls the temperature and makes it uniform. But it also allows the astronauts to see clearly and without the glare of false color. Meaning that with the golden visor around that, the pure gold, because it's transparent, they actually see the same colors without a tint. You've heard the phrase, wearing rose-colored glasses. Well, this makes it clear and enhances colors. You actually see better with the visor than without it because it enhances and it protects. Isn't that a wonderful thing? The NASA scientists have studied this and they figured this out. Well, if you can imagine a biblical canopy surrounding the earth, protecting it in the water vapor, that as it becomes, the hydrogen becomes super cold, it becomes semi-metallic, it, it becomes crystalline and transparent. The crystalline explains how it lattices together and keeps together. And it's so clear you could see through it so you don't have like a big cloud uh, uh, protect. Um, blocking out the sun of the earth, but it is clear and it actually enhances the colors. For example, did you know that the stars are in more colors than the bland yellow that you see in the sky? You have green stars, blue stars, yellow stars, red stars. And what would happen is that at night, because of that biblical canopy, you could see all the stars in all of its different colors at night. Not just one color, but all the different colors. In fact, that biblical canopy would actually enhance the stars that even during the day, you could see the stars on the horizon. We know that the sun would block off and beat out much of the, the um, other stars, but you could even see the stars. Let me tell you something else about stars. Not only are they different colors, but they also produce music. They produce what we call radio waves. The book Bible explains that in the book of Job in chapter 38 verse 7. You don't have to turn there. But it says in the beginning of creations. Did you not know that the stars sang? That NASA again knows all these things. They study this. They have what is called the Kepler mission. And the Kepler mission is job is part of NASA. Is they actually record the radio waves of the stars. And they have over 500 stars recorded. And you want to hear something else amazing? Is that all of those stars and the frequency that they are producing are all in harmony with each other. So what does this mean? Well, the biblical canopy that would enhance light and enhance sound, that all throughout the day you could hear God's creation singing beautiful music and hearing it wherever you're at. Isn't God good? In addition, because of those radio waves that are emitted, even from our sun, that you didn't need a watch, but those radio waves would go through through the sun, you would feel what time it was. Well, I feel like it's 1130. You wouldn't need a watch. You just knew what time it was because you could feel it. Isn't that pretty amazing? 
that God is a great God. Now, that's only two aspects of hydrogen turning super cold. Let's see what else. When hydrogen turns super cold, it develops semi-metallic properties. And that we discussed that it becomes crystalline and transparent. The crystalline explains how it lattices together. Transparent explains that we could see through it and all of the effects that it has as the star's light goes through it that we could feel the radio waves. It would be beautiful harmony. We could see the uh, stars in all of its color. But a different effect that happens when hydrogen turns super cold is that it becomes uh, what is called fiber optic. Fiber optic. We now live in a type of world where most of our lines, our cable lines are now fiber optic lines. What is fiber optics? Fiber optics, if I had a fiber optic cable, what would happen is that I could use light to shine in one side of the cable and it would energize through the entire cable. For example, I could take a fiber optic cable and shine light on one end of it. I could tie the cable in knots and still shine a light on the other end as it goes all the way through the cable. That it's able to trans, uh, transport light all the way through it. Well, if you can imagine a biblical canopy that surrounded the earth. And as the sun shined on one side of the canopy, normally what would happen is if the sun is the other side of the earth, it is night on the other side. Well, with a biblical canopy, the sunlight would hit the earth and engage and empower that biblical canopy and it would go to the other side. And so what would occur that even in the middle of the night, it wasn't true darkness, but it would be like a light magenta pink. Enough that you could go to sleep to, but not enough for you to be afraid of the dark. You see what God did at the very beginning of creation is he made it so you didn't have to fear. There was no reason to be afraid of the dark. You say, are you making this up? Well, let's see what the Bible has to say. Notice with me in the book of Genesis chapter 1. Still talking about the days of creation. We talked about day 1 and we talked about day number 2. Let's fast forward, if you don't mind, to day number 4. Notice with me in verse number 14. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the nights. And let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. And let them be lights in the firmament of heaven to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule in the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also, And he set them in the firmament of heaven to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth, first, uh, fourth day. Now in the fourth day, what God did is that God created light. He created the stars. And he made two great lights, one to rule in the day and one to rule at night. Now some people will quickly just say, well, this is the sun and the moon. Well, may I ask you a question? Do you sometimes see the moon during the day? Is there sometimes at night that there is no moon? And so it could be a possible explanation. But what's another possible explanation is that God made it so there was always a great light during the day and always a lesser light at night. So God said, let there be two great lights. He didn't say the sun and the moon. He just said there was light. So there's bright light during the day and a lesser light at night. Enough that you could go to sleep to, but enough light that you didn't have to fear the dark. See, God made 
the Garden of Eden, he made creation so man didn't have any reason to fear. Isn't that a wonderful God? And so as we talk about the Garden of Eden and we study what happens when you take water and you turn it super cold temperatures, that oxygen turns blue, hydrogen develops super metallic properties. By the way, this isn't my opinion or my research. This is done by secular scientists of the Lawrence Livermore Laboratories and backed up by other scientific experiments. But I'm not making this up. This is what they say happens and we're just applying it to God making the world and how it was like. So we understand that when hydrogen turns super cold, it develops semi-metallic properties. That first of all, it becomes crystalline and it becomes transparent. It becomes fiber optic. But something else that happens when you turn um, hydrogen into super cold temperatures is that it also becomes superconductive and ferromagnetic. You say, well, those are two big words. Basically, this would be the big sciencey part to explain how the biblical canopy stayed above the earth and didn't fall down. Why didn't it float away? Why isn't it the earth bouncing around inside of that? How does it stay in the first place? Well, the Lawrence Livermore uh, Laboratories, when they were studying hydrogen to develop the hydrogen bomb and to do more studies on it, there was one scientist who turned a block of ice, which is H2O, and he turned it super cold. Then what he did is he got a magnet and something cool happened is that the ice floated above the magnet. And so he would move the magnet and the ice flowed above it. He would move the magnet. It would just float over. Well, being like any other typical guy, what do you want to do? You want to go show your friends. Hey, man, watch this. This is cool. And so he rushed out to the door in the hallway and was in a hurry. And he ran right into someone else and papers flew. And, and they went and gathered everything up. And he's still holding the magnet. And he looks up and says, Wait, where'd my piece of ice go? This is important. And he looks around and trying to find out where it's at. Well, the ice is floating underneath his hand. Still in, caught in the magnet. Hanging out in space. Well, when hydrogen turns super cold, it becomes super conductive and ferromagnetic. Which again, big scientific speak, it's explaining because the earth has a magnetic field, how it stays above the earth and doesn't come down. This is because of its magnetism. It floats in where it's supposed to be. And no matter as the earth goes around and turns around, it doesn't affect the ice canopy. It stays there where it's supposed to be. Isn't God a smart God? He knew how to do it and how to figure it out. And you know what? God knows all the science parts. God knows how it works. He's the one who developed it and put it together. Isn't he a smart God? There's one more aspect of the biblical canopy that I want to describe to you. As hydrogen turns super uh, cold, it develops semi-metallic properties. That it becomes crystalline and it becomes uh, transparent. It becomes fiber optic. It becomes super conductive and ferromagnetic. And then something really cool. It turns pink. It turns pink. You say, well, what does this have to do? Well, isn't it amazing that God knows how to use colors and he knows how to design our bodies. That this certain frequency of pink as hydrogen turns super cold happens to be the same frequency that inside of our body produces a chemical called norepinephrine. Now, if you understand how your body works, is that you have nerves that travel through your body and they use bioelectrical signals that go from your brain to the rest of your body. For example, if I say want to close my fist, my brain sends electrical chemical symbols, signals through my body to my hand that says close my fist. And so that's how it works. Now, 
with your nerves and your nerve endings, what happens is that there's a tiny bit of space between your nerve and your nerve ending. And the electricity has to jump in between the nerve and the nerve ending. So if you're having a stressful day, you have the phrase, my nerves are frayed. Literally what is happening is that because you're stressed out, your nerves are pulled back and it takes more electricity to jump between the nerves and the nerve ending. And so when you're having a stressful day, that's what's occurring. It takes more work, more energy to get the signals across. You feel like you're sluggish and reacting. Well, with the color pink in the atmosphere, which is something that most people wouldn't recognize or or really pay attention to because you're used to it, what happens is that it releases a chemical called norepinephrine, which is a natural, excuse me, which is a natural chemical that goes in between the nerve symbols and it's a natural relaxer that it fills in the gap in between the nerve and the nerve endings so that way there's more of a complete circuit. It takes less work to get the nerve, uh, the electricity across and you're always more relaxed. Now they've done experiments with it. You guys uh, know those deadlifter people, right? Those big, huge bodybuilding guys that they take the the um, the weights and they bend down and they pick it up and they lift it up and they lift tremendous amounts of weight. You know, those people can carry a whole bunch. Well, they did experiments on this that they would let them pick up their normal weight and see how much they can carry. And then they would show. Uh, had that certain frequency of pink right in front of them and around them, so they'd have to look at that pink. Well, what happened is that their body would produce norepinephrine. It would be a natural relaxer. They go down to pick up the weights they're used to carrying, and they're weaker. Why? Because their body is more relaxed. It's less strained, less less pumped up. What would happen is that before the the in the Garden of Eden, it was a place where you were always naturally relaxed. You are always calm and always at peace. Isn't that pretty amazing? In fact, there's a guy in uh, Waco, Texas. Uh, uh, he works at a, <clears throat> at a glasses place where he makes glasses, an optometrist. And he has developed the sunglasses with that certain frequency of pink. And he sells it. And people who drive truck all day long, they wear those pink sunglasses. And even after driving truck all day long, they walk out of their truck at the end of the day and they're still relaxed and full of energy. That pink frequency of sunglasses. Some of you want pink sunglasses too. Don't worry. You could be a man and still wear them. You say, hey, it's more important for me to be relaxed and chilled than uh, the fashion statement. But isn't that cool? That certain frequency, even looking at it today, causes you to relax. And that's what the canopy would do is that it was always that pink shade. And it was always a place where you were relaxed and things were not at war. Now, I've told you some pretty fantastical things. Someone can say, well, wait a second. All right, you told us all this stuff. Could it really happen? Well, that's a very good question. Could this really happen? Well, let's put it to the test. Let's do an experiment. In Tokyo, Japan, there was a doctor by the professor by the name of Dr. Ki Mori at the Keio University of Tokyo. And like many Japanese people, he loved to grow plants. However, his office was down deep into the basement of the university, which is very hard to grow plants if you don't get sunlight. So what he did is he took a fiber optic cable and he ran it from the top of the building so it would get sun and ran it all the way down to the basement and he took his tomato plant 
and put the fiber optics there. So it would get the natural light that came from the fiber optic, but it would block it from UV light because it's down in the basement. And what happened after the end of the first year is that that tomato plant just grew. At the end of two years, that one regular tomato plant that you would grow put in your garden grew 903 tomatoes. Now, for those of you who may not realize, tomato plants usually only live one year. But the second year, it's still alive. And that year, it grew 903 tomatoes. At the end of year number six, that tomato plant that you would part, uh, plant in your yard was 60 feet long. And grew 5,000 tomatoes. At the end of 12 years... It grew 20,000 baseball size tom uh, tomatoes. And it lived to 12 years. By the way, its lifespan was 10 to 12 years longer than its normal lifespan. Just like the lifespans were bef before the flood happened at the Garden of Eden. Well, you say that's pretty interesting. Well, let's try a different one. In the 1980s, there was a young girl by the name of Jessica McClure in Midland, Texas. I remember this because I was a kid at the time and we watched it. It was on the news. It was on every channel. And what happened is that this girl, this little girl, went and did the splits down a small eight-inch pipe. And she was stuck in the pipe doing the splits. And she was stuck in there for three and a half days. It was an amazing rescue. They had to do so much. But by the time they pulled her out, because she was doing the split so long, that the, her legs didn't get any oxygen because they were cut off. And they pulled her out and her legs were all black and deadened because of the lack of oxygen, because of the lack of blood circulation. And so the doctors were afraid in order to save her life, they were going to have to amputate both legs. But before they did that, some doctor said, wait a second, let's put her in what is called a hyperbaric chamber. Now, what a hyperbaric chamber does is that it puts double oxygen and double air pressure inside of it, or it can. It's usually, it was originally made to help the uh, divers who went down too deep and went up too quickly, and they would get uh, nitrogen inside of their um, joints and give them the bins where they couldn't move. And it was to allow them to slowly adjust to sea level pressure. Well, what they did is they took one of those hyperbaric chambers and they put double oxygen and double air pressure and within a matter of hours, her legs began to turn pink as blood began to flow once again. And so they said, well, we're just going to have to amputate the bottom part of her feet or her, her legs, bottom part of her legs. Well, they kept her in there. And after a while, her legs and her feet began to turn pink. Well, they said, we're just going to have to amputate some toes. They kept her in there. And when they were done, they only had to amputate very, a very small portion of her pinky toe. That was it. Because her body healed herself within that hyperbaric chamber. Just like what would happen if a biblical canopy had surrounded the earth. To allow rapid healing. Isn't that a great God? He knew what he was doing and we saw this. Now another natural question is, hey wait a second. You just got through describing what happened thousands of years ago. And before the flood. Our earth is definitely like this. First of all, it's not pink. There's still... Nighttime at night, it is dark at night. Hey, I could take a breath and sometimes start coughing depending on where I'm standing at and what all is getting inside of my lungs. Our earth is not like this. So what? You told us a lot of good things. So what? Well, I'm glad you asked. You understand that God is going to repair the world 
and put it back in a Garden of Eden conditions. He promised it. Notice with me, if you don't mind, as we saw the very beginning of the Bible, let's look at the very end of the Bible and let's see what God's plans are. Notice with me in the book of Revelation chapter 20. The book of Revelation in chapter number 20. In the book of Revelation chapter 20, God is describing an event that's going to occur at the end of time. Notice with me in Revelation 20 in verse 1. And I saw an angel come from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid a hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him up a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. And set a seal upon him, and that he should deceive the nations till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after this, he must be loosed a season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark on their foreheads or in their hands. And they shall they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the dead, the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the resurrection, first resurrection, and such that the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall Blessed reign and with him that hath part in the resurrection. Th- thousand years. And so what we see here is that over and over God puts puts an emphasis of a thousand years. Now when God says at the end of time that Jesus Christ is going to reign a thousand years, you want to know how long I think God means? A thousand years. And that God describes this event, he called, it is called the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ. And throughout the Bible, it describes what this place would be like. If you don't mind, may I quickly just tell you some things what the Bible says about this? He says the millennial kingdom, according to the Bible, will be a place where people live a thousand years. The book of Revelation chapter 20, Isaiah 65. The Bible says that it's a place with perfect temperature and a perfect atmosphere of peace. Isaiah chapter 11. The Bible says it will be a place of rapid healing. Isaiah 35. He says it will be a place where creation will praise God. It says that in multiple places. It says in the Bible it's a place where the night will be bright Like the day, Isaiah 30. It says it's a place where everyone will be calm and relaxed. It'll be a place with no more wars or strife. Micah chapter 4, Zephaniah 2, Zechariah 14. And that's just a preview, a small taste of what the Bible says the millennial kingdom will be like. He says he's going to reestablish Garden of Eden conditions. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That we get to enjoy a thousand years ruling and reigning with Christ... And enjoy all those wonderful things. To enjoy a place where people could live a thousand years because the UV light's going to be bounced off. It's going to be a place where it's going to be 70 degrees in the morning, 75 degrees at night. You'll never have to worry about shoveling snow ever again. It's a place where if someone did break their arm, it would heal overnight. It is a place... Where the stars will once again sing and you could see all the stars in all of its different colors. It's a place where the night will be as bright as the day. Where you'll no longer have a reason to fear the dark. It is a place the Bible describes where where everyone will be relaxed 
and at peace. Doesn't that sound wonderful? You say, how can I know that I'm going there? Well, the Bible says that you can know, but how do you know that? If you're forgiven of your sins. You understand the Bible says that we are all sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says because of our sin, we cannot go to a perfect place. Because if you put something that's not perfect and put it in a perfect place, it would ruin it. Let's take the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was a perfect place, wasn't it? Until the first man, or until the first woman ate the first man out of house and home. Until Eve and Adam broke God's law and it set apart uh, the Garden of Eden to be deteriorated. What God had to do just because they broke one commandment, he had to separate them from that wonderful Garden of Eden. He says, you can't be there anymore because you're no longer perfect. Well, the Bible says we're all sinners. And because we're not perfect, we cannot go to a perfect place. God has to protect heaven. He has to protect the Garden of Eden. He has to protect that conditions. He cannot allow something not perfect to go to that perfect place. You say, well, that's bad news. Well, it gets even worse. The Bible says that when we die, there's only two places to go. A wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. Those are the only two choices. And because we're not perfect, we can't go to a perfect place. So the only other place to go by default is an awful place called hell. God never created hell to, uh, to punish man. He created hell to punish Satan and his demons. But man goes there by default because there's nowhere else to go. But here is the good news. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That God made it so everyone could go to heaven. Everyone could have forgiveness of sins. If they personally accept Jesus to be their savior. They have to come to the place where they say I recognize that I'm a sinner. And because of my sin I deserve to go to hell. And Jesus is the only way. Please save me. Please forgive me. And you know what God promised he would. And so anyone can go to that wonderful place. So you could ask the question to yourself, are you going? Well, the Bible says he wants you to know. The Bible talks about 1 John five thirteen. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have everlasting life. Not only the question you should ask yourself is, am I going? But let me ask you this question. Who are you bringing with you? You see, it's going to be a wonderful place. Who are you bringing with you? I'd hate to go to heaven. I'd hate to go to the millennial kingdom and find that my mother didn't make it. Find my brother didn't make it. To find one of my kids didn't make it. Who are you bringing with you? Are you going to tell them about it? Are you going to invite them? Are you going to explain to them how they can have their sins forgiven and be with you for all eternity? In that wonderful place that God has prepared? Let me ask you a third question. What type of greeting will you have when you go there. What do I mean by that? Well let's look and see what the Bible says. In the gospel record of Luke. The gospel record of Luke in chapter number 9. What type of response will you have. When you get to heaven. When you get to the millennial kingdom. So let's just imagine in your mind's eye. That you take your last breath. That absent from the body is present from the Lord. You've accepted Jesus your savior. And so as soon as you die. You're with him in his presence. What type of response will you have when you die? Notice with me in the gospel record of Luke chapter number 9. Notice what this says. Gospel record of Luke chapter 9. And notice with me in verse 26. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me 
and of my words. Of him the Son of Man shall be ashamed when he shall come into his glory and his fathers and of the holy angel. So whoever shall be ashamed of, of Jesus will shall be the son of man. Jesus will be ashamed of him when he comes in his own glory. So during the millennial kingdom, if you on this earth says, well, I don't want to let everyone know that I'm a Christian. I'm saved, but I'm not going to do anything about it. When you get to the millennial kingdom, Jesus is going to say, I'm glad you made it. Don't have anything for you. Go ahead and enjoy yourself. He says, I'm ashamed of you. You were ashamed of me? You were ashamed to tell everyone you're a Christian that you're going to heaven? He says, I'm ashamed of you. I'm glad that you made it, but I don't have anything for you to do. Here, go over here. That's a pretty bad response. What's an opposite response? Notice what Jesus says in the gospel record of Luke chapter 12. The gospel record of Luke chapter 12. Notice with me in the gospel record of Luke chapter 12. Notice with me in verse number 8. A whole different response Luke chapter 12, verse 8. And I also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. Notice this. Jesus now says, Hey, I'm so glad that you're here. Hey, angels, this is the guy that I was telling you about. This is the guy who told everyone about me. Oh, come on in. Angels, come meet him. Isn't that a different response? You understand what we do now affects the future. What you do now, first of all, are you sure that you're going to heaven? Second of all, are you ashamed of the Lord? Or do you confess Jesus before all men? That will affect how we are treated, our response, our responsibilities during the thousand year reign of Christ. What is your response going to be like? Are you ashamed to tell people about that you're a Christian? Well, I don't want to tell them I'm a Christian. They know too much about me. Do you have a life that is worth telling? Where you say, I'm a Christian, and people say, I know that about you. I've watched you. Do you live a type of life that you are able to confess Jesus? Say, let me tell you why I know I'm going to heaven. And they listen to you because of how you live your life. You understand how we live our life now will affect what happens in the future. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.